Uh, greetings, everyone. My name is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I have an awesome guest today, Dave Manis. How are you doing, Dave? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, Dave is a Bassmaster Open Championship, having won the Bassmaster Northern on the uh, Upper Chesapeake Bay in April 2009. He's also a professional tournament angler and competed in the Bass Open, the FLW Costa, and the Tournament Series. So, Dave, you have quite the resume as I was looking through your um your portfolio on the past masters uh, site for sure. And it's one of those things, you know, I'm talking to a bunch of these professional bass fishermen and I always like to ask the first question is how did you really find yourself where you're at today? how did you find yourself climbing up the ranks and was there any really mentors that helped you push you along the way? Uh, yeah, there, actually there were, there were many. Um, but uh, so <clears throat> I really, I was into sports my entire life, I, but I, I did fish. You know, ever since I was a little kid, um, I grew up in a small town called Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Uh, there's a pond there and it happened to be right down the end of my street. And Grover's Mill is famous because in the 1930s, there was a radio broadcast called the War of the Worlds. And it started the whole War of the Worlds series that you see movies made of today. But Grover's Mill was the original landing spot for the Martians in this radio broadcast. So um, it's a little bit of history there. But uh, the fishing was great when I was a kid, lots of lily pads and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we had a good time there and it really got me started fishing. I, my dad was not into fishing, but I had a dear uncle who was, and he would, he would, you know, get off work and take me fishing every chance he got. Just uh, really got into my blood. So, um, but then I got into sports and I played baseball all through college and I did travel team softball and I played baseball and all that stuff till I was uh, in my forties, but uh, I got uh, I picked up a Bassmaster magazine um, back in the early nineties, and I I became um, uh, addicted to it. All right, just you know, you would get it, read every page you could read, read it over again, you know, and then one day I found a, an advertisement for. Um, the ability to become a co-angler in the top 100 events. And back then it was like the best deal ever, dude. It was incredible. You, you fished all four days. So you had a different pro every day and you only paid $400 for it. So it was the greatest thing ever. I mean, you couldn't buy guides for that kind of money, you know, let alone the best anglers in the country. And um, I fished as many of those as I could trying to learn everything I could about tournament bass fishing you know, um, I like to say, yes, I love it. And I know you love it too, but it truly is an addiction. You just, you just become addicted to the competitive nature of it. You know, the challenge of trying to catch fish in all different types of conditions. Um, you know, the whole tournament atmosphere, you actually, you, you become addicted to it. There's no, no doubt about it, but, uh, yeah. And then I, then I started fishing the FLW tour as a co-angler as well. And, um, I, uh, that led me to fish in the New Jersey Federation. And uh, I was fortunate enough to make the state team the first two years I was in the Federation and became uh, really good friends with uh, Pete Gluzik and Mike Iaconelli and the Soli brothers, and Mark Schaefer and Ed Cowan and all the great names of, uh, you know, the early days of the Jersey Federation. And, um, you know, they talked me into fishing what was then the Invitations. You know, the invitationals preceded the opens and the invitationals were pros on pros. So let's say you and I 
were paired for a day, we would have to flip a coin to see whose boat we were going to take. And then you would get four hours in the front of the boat and I would get four hours in the front of the boat. So it made for some interesting uh, dynamics between the anglers, you know, and, you know, everybody talked to it. Oh, I'm on them. I'm on them. You know? Yeah. Well, that wasn't always the case, but, uh, but it was a, it was a learning curve. You know I mean? You got to learn a lot from different people that you fished with and whatnot. And um, believe it or not, my first year in the invitationals, I qualified for what was then the Bassmaster top 150. So that was the elites of the day. And uh, I, I fished that for uh, about seven years. And um, it became the best. We went from the Bassmaster Top 150 to the Bassmaster uh, Tour. And then it became the elites. So uh, for me, not having a lot of uh, experience, tournament experience, man, it was a hard learning curve, you know. I, you know, you're, you know, I, I tell people the story of the, my very first turn was on the Potomac. Um, and, and here's, you know, Roland Martin and Jimmy Houston and Shaw Grigsby and Denny Brower and all these guys, you know, that you've been reading about for all these years, you know, and all of a sudden there they are and you're competing with them, you know? So it was, uh, it was quite, uh, quite the experience. I'm not going to tell you that I was uh, completely prepared for it. I kind of learned as I went along, but uh, I wouldn't change a thing about it. So, Dave, that's awesome. And and your story is super similar to mine. I went to a, a small junior college down in New Jersey, and that's really where I found the love for fishing. Just um, living in the apartments, there was a little runoff in our apartments. I would climb underneath the fence, go in there. It was really the first time I ever threw a frog. Throw a frog on some lily pads, and next thing you know, there's just tons of bass in there blew it up in there and I was like right when that first that first bite from the frog after I got that first one I was like oh this is this is awesome I ended up taking trips down to Union Lake and all the local spots over there in Jersey so it's awesome to hear your stories kind of similar to mine and then how you're just being able to progress up the ladders yeah and, and it's really you know when people ask me how to get started you know I, I tell them look best thing you can do is join a club you know I was a, I was a club member in the federation I fished the federation tournaments there's guys that have been lifers in those, those organizations, you know, and there's so much you can learn from them. You know, I, people quite often I get asked who's the best bass angler I've ever, ever encountered. And I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. The best guy I've ever encountered is Bob Soldy from New Jersey. He is the best without a doubt. Um, I, I know there's a number of high level people that are familiar with Bob that would agree with me, but he's not the guy that wanted to go travel around the country. You know, he didn't want that lifestyle. So, you know, and there's a lot of people like that um, in, in all regions of the country. You know, I've, li I've been fortunate to live in a lot of different areas um, over the years. And, you know, there's sticks everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. There, there's a stick, trust me. But there's so much you can learn from that individual, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially about like their local lake, too. I, I've met a couple of local legends as I've been traveling around down to um, West Virginia. And you just hear these names pop up. And it's like, man, this guy, he fishes on this lake all the time, nonstop. And he knows exactly where the fish are at any given point of day. Right. So. right. There's That guy is everywhere. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that kind of brings me to a nice segue, too, for um, for you, being that you won your championship in the, uh, the upper Chesapeake River there. And it's been one of those areas that I've been trying to get into. I've been trying to fish, too, being from the Northeast. Um, any tips you can give to someone like me who hasn't really been able to locate 
any bass up there um, in the Chesapeake and just baits, times of years, any tips like that? Yeah, well, um, so I was fortunate because it was close to home. I was able to fish it a lot and the Federation had a lot of tournaments there. You know, so I, I had some experience there. Um, I'll get into how that helped me to some degree when I, when I won. Um, but, um, it, it's, uh, it's a unique body of water in that, you know, it's tidal driven. There's depending on the water levels, you know, the salt water might be up higher in the bay than it, than, than at other times of the year, depending on those levels. And it's learning what the fish, how the fish react to the changing tides, you know, um, in the spring, you know, in the winter time now, those fish like to get out of the current. So any place that you can find any little oxbow or channel that's a little bit off the main channel where there's not as much current, that's probably where you're going to find them. And they'll stack up in there. And one thing about bass, especially this time of year, is they like to, they like to group up by size, you know. So if you get in there and, there and you catch a four-pounder, stay there a while. Try to figure that one out, you know what I mean? Because there's probably more of them there. But then as the as things transition, you know, they start to start to move uh, towards those flats where they can spawn. And I don't know how the grass situation is there now, but when I, you know, when I fished it, the grass was the grass was the key, you know, the grass edges, uh, the the holes in the grass out in the main bay. Um, one thing about it, when the tide moves out, you know, the tide moves in that water starts to get muddy. So you want to kind of chase that mud line and try to stay in that clearer water. Don't, don't stay in one area. Just kind of want to move with it and try to stay just ahead of it. And then the same thing as it's receding, it clears. And so many times you can get over top of that grass with either, now it would be a chatterbait, but you know, we used to throw spinnerbaits, flukes, swim baits, things of that nature. You throw them over those little pockets that are in the grass and those fish will set up on those edges. And, and with that tide coming over it, you know, they're looking for something that, that the tide's bringing them. And uh, we used to catch them pretty good like that. But uh, there's a lot of channels there too, where you can do a lot of cranking. And then there, of course, there's a lot of flooded wood, you know, especially over on the Eastern side of the bay, there's a lot of flooded wood there and they like to spawn on that wood, um, believe it or not. Um, and that was something I was looking for during my, the, my practice period for the tournament that I won. But uh, unfortunately, the two weeks prior, they were on it. And, uh, man, I thought, well, we're, we're going to crush them, you know. And Because uh, uh, actually, Soli and I had fished a team tournament there two weeks prior. And uh, we, we just missed winning the thing. Um, lost a big fish right at the end of the day that would have put us over the top. But, you know, that's fishing. Um, but I thought for sure this pattern is only going to get better. And what happened was they'd gotten a whole bunch of rain and cold weather leading up to the event um, uh, for the open. And that changed everything. That one little change can disrupt everything and just like uh, work in your plans. Like, yeah. Yeah. Geez. And then, so you said you fished for the club and it helped you kind of win that. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, like your whole experience of actually winning a tournament like that. And then how it, how it helped you fishing with the club um, in that local area. Well, um, the, the guys that were on my club, uh, there was a guy by the name of Jimmy, Jimmy Flanagan. He'd made the, the um, divisional tournaments multiple times. Pretty sure he had fished a couple of national events. There were a couple other guys in there that had done really well. And they had a lot of experience on lakes that we were fishing. 
you know, we would go all the way from, uh, from the upper Chesapeake up to, um, um, Champlain, you know, so, uh, we fished a lot of different lakes and under a lot of different conditions. The Hudson river was one of them. You know, I don't know if you ever fished up there, but fishing those, uh, water chestnuts is a whole different experience, you know? So I was able to acquire a lot of information from them and gain a lot of experience fishing with them. And it was, it was a, it was a unique situation. That was a, the neat thing about being part of the Federation. You know, our club shared information, you know, that, which was important to your success. We didn't necessarily say, look, this is where I'm at, you know, but this is what I'm doing. And that would key you into maybe doing something on finding a location on your own. And then later on, when I made the state team tournaments, you know, with the divisionals, you know, um, again, the Soli brothers, Gluzik, Iconelli, all those guys were on those teams. You know, it was a, we'd sit down in a room at night and share information of what we had experienced during the day. Same thing, not locations, but um, techniques that worked that day. And what we were looking for and what we found where, where we had success so that other guys could go out and find it as well. So, um, you know, when you when you put all that together, it, it's a great educational experience. So the, as far as the turn, the, the open that I won, um, I had been there uh, several times with early Federation tournaments and realized that those fish like to relate to rock um, early in the year. And, and although this tournament was in April, um, we really had like early March conditions because of the cold weather and the rain. And uh, it was it was odd because the first couple of days of practice, it was terrible. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. And uh, the last day of, of the of practice, if I remember correctly, uh, it was about 35 degrees. It was a 30 mile an hour wind and it was pouring down rain. Your hands are so cold, you just couldn't tie a bait. You know I mean? It was, it was brutal. And it, it's the only time in my career where I came back to the dock and Mike Canelli was out of the water already. You know, I stayed longer than he did. I was so proud of that moment, you know, cause he's like a, a dawn to dark guy. We used to stay together and he, he'd come in hours after dark, you know, but, uh, that day, right at the end of the day, I went up into the Susquehanna River and I fished a couple of rock piles that I was familiar with from those previous years. And uh, I noticed that th there were some fish, I could see them on my side imaging. I could see some fish on those rocks, but if, if it's gonna be hard for me to describe this to you, but if you had a rock pile and the current's coming over it, the fish were so tight to the rock pile that if you used anything lighter than a three quarter ounce jig, the current would, would wash it over top of them so fast they couldn't get to it. But the three quarter ounce jig would fall down right into the pocket where they were sitting out of the current and you could catch them. So I, I got a bite and I set the hook and it was like a four pounder. Uh, and trust me, they were, they were hard to come by in that practice. So I went to another one and I pitched in there. I got another bite and I shook it off. And I went to another one. I pitched in there and shook it off and thought, well, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, whether it's successful or not, I, I don't know. So uh, the first day of the tournament, I went in and, and uh, I ended up catching 19 pounds, you know, and uh, it was, uh, it was pretty strong. You know I mean? I, I didn't get a lot of bites, but the bites I was getting were good ones. 
you know. So then I went back to second day and did the same thing. And, and as far as I know, I was the only guy doing this. Everybody else was out in the bay. They were up in Furnace Bay trying to look for spawners. And although there was a ton of fish up there, you know, guys were catching 30, 40 fish a day, but no keepers. They were all, all below, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's still a 15 inch limit on the upper Chesapeake. Yeah. yeah, they were catching, you know, fish below that. So the, the second day, I only had six bites the second day. Um, and I lost a six pounder. I, I, I broke it off, you know, on the rock pile, um, unfortunately. But uh, I came in with 17 pounds. And I thought, well, I, at least I didn't hurt myself. Now, you got to remember the first two days, there were two limits weighed in of 22 and a half pounds of smallmouths. And these were guys that were running up to the dam in a Susquehanna. And I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it's a treacherous run. Lots of rocks and things to hit up there. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I don't think they could catch another 22, but at least I didn't hurt myself, you know? So, uh, the next, so I came in and I ended up Actually, I was the only out of 186 pros in that tournament, eight of which were classic champions and 16 were elite anglers. I was the only one to weigh in a limit both days. That's how tough that tournament was. Okay, it was not, not an easy tournament. So uh, I ended up with a two and a half pound lead going into day three. And uh, man, I've never been in that position in, the, in, in a tournament at that level, you know? Um, so I, I called Mike and I called Pete and I'm like, you know, how do you handle this? You know, and I got some, I, I actually got some great advice from them and uh, it, uh, I ended up going out the next day and, you know, the key is, is you, you got to do what got you there. You know, you, you go, you might have to make some adjustments, but you really got to, got to, got to do what got you there. And, uh, and you got to fish the moment. Like, like Mike always says, you got to fish the moment. Um, but, Unfortunately, it was a Saturday and they weren't running a lot of water through the dam. So there wasn't much current. So those fish scattered and I could not find them. I couldn't get a bite. I, I ran, I turned and I ran over to the east side of, uh, of the bay to an area where I caught them off of some locks and laydowns. And when I got there, I realized the tide was so low that there couldn't, couldn't have been a fish on them. Right. I turned right around, never even stopped, turned around. And ran all the way back, you know, and the, the greatest thing is my co-angler, um, a, a, a great guy from New Jersey, Ryan Smith. He was like, dude, you're going to catch him. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. OK, just stay positive. He was such a coach, a mental coach for me. I, I, I was I've been so thankful for him. But uh, yeah, at 1230, I didn't have a fish. And then, and then, and then around one o'clock, I caught, I caught one. And in the next 45 minutes, I ended up with three that weighed 10, 15. Okay. And, uh, and then we had to go in. Um, so, uh, you know, now I'm panicking, you know, I, I've had this opportunity and I've blown it, you know, and uh, I'll never forget. I got into the dock and, and, uh, and if, if I'm talking too long about this, stop me, but you know, it, it's one of those moments you just never forget, you know. Um, I get to the dock and Frank Scalish, who had one of those 22 and a half pound bags the first day, he gets in my boat and he says, well, you got them? And I said, no, Frank, I don't. You know, he goes, really? 
I go, no, man. I said, they just didn't bite, you know? And uh, he said, I said, how about you? You got him? He goes, well, I got it. You know? And I go, what do you mean you got it? He goes, I only got one, but it's like a five and a half pounder, right? So I go, wow, that's a nice one. I said, but I got it too. Because <laughs> I had a five and a half, you know? And he grabs me and hugs me and goes, dude, you won. It's awesome. I'm so happy for you. You know, I'm like, whoa, Jack, <laughs> you know, you can't do this to me. You're here to jinx me. You can't, you know, count your chickens before they hatch, you know? And uh, he's like, no, no, I know you got it. I know you got it, you know? So we get up, we get up there to the way in. Of course, I'm leading it. So I'm the last one to weigh in, you know? And there used to be a great gentleman who, who did all the, all the bumping for bass named Pee Wee. He was from Maryland, just a super guy, just a super guy. And he'd been bumping my fish my entire career up to that point, you know? And uh, I get up to the tanks and he looks in my bag and he looks up at me and he goes, how late were you? And I'm, I'm, and, you know, I'm like, what? He goes, how late were you? And I'm, you know, cause now I'm in a panic, you know? I, and then I see him smile. I go, I'm going to choke you, you know? So he said, oh, I'm just messing with you. He goes, man, congratulations. I'm so happy for you, you know? You, you got it, you know? And I look at him, and don't do this to me. I said, they ain't been waiting yet. And he looks at me and he goes, Dave, I've seen all the fish. <laughs> right? So I'm like, oh my God. Well, I immediately started crying. I'm, I'm not, not ashamed to admit it. I'm Italian. I'm emotional. I, I start crying, you know. Um, one thing, a, a, a year earlier, my mom had passed away. And every time I went to a tournament, my mom said, you're going to win this one. You're going to win this one. And I just prayed she'd be there when I when it happened. And unfortunately, she wasn't. So that moment kind of caught up with me, you know. And then I got up on a stage and uh, they weighed the fish. And one, once Chris Bowes announced me as the winner, I think he'll tell you today, it's still the best hug he ever got. I I grabbed him and picked him up off the stage and hugged him, you know, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty special moment. You know, it's, it's so hard to do. There's so many great anglers out there. Um, you just don't get that opportunity that often. You know, I've been fortunate enough to make the top tens in, in a couple of other events since then, you know, but things just didn't work out. You know, it's just, that's just the way it is. You know, you hear people all the time say, when it's your time, it's your time. Well, it was, I guess it was my time, you know, because like I said, I didn't have a fish till 1230. And then I caught enough. I ended up winning by like six pounds as well. So nobody caught him on the last day, which was I was thankful for, for my, my own personal reasons. But um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah, it's kind of it must be a little nerve wracking, too, because when you're sitting there at 1230, you're like, man, I'm only got a two pound lead. It's 1230. I don't have any fish in the boat. They're not where I'm normally catching fish. It's like, oh, my God, the panic starts setting in. It's cool that your co-angler was there, too, to kind of calm yeah. down and be like, hey, yep. you know what? Things are going to turn around. You're going to be fine. You're going to be good. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, Eric, is I told you I ran across the bay, and then I came back. When I came back, they had started running water. So the current started coming over those rocks, and those fish set up right away, and I was able to catch them. So, um, so that was a good thing. It's, it's like the perfect storm. It's like luck's on your side, but then also you just stay true to your game plan too. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. That's awesome. That's, it's an awesome story. And, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the extra time during that story and just explaining the entire thing. Cause I think our listeners will get a lot from like that entire, 
like series of events going from practice, how it was terrible conditions, especially up in the Northeast. I'm really familiar with the terrible conditions up here. It seems yeah. like winter comes in quick and it doesn't want to leave us. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I appreciate you going through that. You know, another interesting thing about that too is um, I was going through jigs left and right. I mean, there, you know, obviously sometimes you didn't make the right cast and they'd go right down into the rocks. You get hung up, you have to break it off because you didn't want to get in there, you know, and stir up the fish. And uh, the after uh, on the night before the night prior to the last day, you know, and people were leaving th that didn't make the top 10, you know, I I'm, I'm running around trying to find everybody I can. Hey, you got any three quarter ounce football jigs, you know, <laughs> and, and fortunately I had, I was able to run into a number of people who had some and were willing to give them to me. So, um, so it, it, you know, I've always said fishing is a great fraternity. You know, you just meet some of the greatest people. And I know I mentioned some names to you earlier that I had met early in my career. I'm still friends with those guys, you know, which is which says a lot about the people that we have within the industry. Mm -hmm. It is like one huge fraternity, even like I belong to some Facebook groups and the people that are on those Facebook groups for fishing are just like willing to give away information, willing to help you catch more fish. Right. And it's, it's amazing. It, it really yeah. is. Even like you joining this podcast with me today. Like I didn't know you before this podcast. We could just sit down and talk about fishing. It's, it's an awesome culture. For yeah. Sure. It's something we all have in, you know, if you love it, you got it in common with somebody and they're always willing to always enjoy talking about it. So that, that's, it's, it's a great fraternity. It is. And um, Dave, I was just looking at your resume too. And some other things you do, a um, little bit outside of the fishing realm is um, you started the annual special Olympics benefit bass tournament. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? And um, is that one located in New Jersey? Yeah, that was. Um, so in so I was a police officer in West Windsor Township, New Jersey. It's right outside of Princeton. And within that, within our community, we had um, it, it's um, West Windsor was located within Mercer County and we had Mercer County Lake. Um, some people in your area might be familiar with it because it's a big softball soccer venue, um, great facility. And it's got a big, it's got, a, you know, like I, I want to say it's a 400 acre lake there. Um, it may not be that big, but it's somewhere close to that. Um, had some decent bass fishing in it. Um, but because it was located in my community, I was able to, to start um, a tournament there to benefit Special Olympics. And uh, it's an all electric lake. So, you know, you had some guys that had just had a trolling motor on there and you had other guys that had the souped up motors on the back, you know, had two, three or four horsepower electric motors on it and off they go. But um, it was a fun tournament. Um, uh, run it just like a BASS event. However, at the, at, during the weigh-in, we would have some of the special Olympians there to help us with the weigh-in. And those kids were just phenomenal. I mean, if, if you want to know what true love is, you, 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 you go work with those kids. They just, anything you can do for them, they love you tenfold back for what you're doing, you know? Um, so it was, uh, we, you know, we'd raise some decent money every year and donate that to Special Olympics. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, New Jersey police um, venues, police departments, are one of the are the second largest contributors to Special Olympics. Um, I think Shoprite is the number one, but there are police departments all over the state of New Jersey 
um, have events that benefit Special Olympics and raise a tremendous amount of money for these kids to help them, you know, through their their progress. So, um, yeah, it's something I was real proud of. You know, we did it for a number of years, had a lot of fun doing it, got a lot of uh, uh, companies to um, donate some, you know, swag stuff for the anglers and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That is awesome. It's, a, it's an awesome event, awesome story. And I will definitely link in the bottom of this video um, any information about that for sure so people can go check it out. Thanks. Absolutely. And um, Dave, I know we've we've hit on this this guy's name because he's kind of a local legend around us, um, Mike Iaconelli, a lot. And uh, from my understanding is that you are involved with his Bass University um, seminars that he does. I, I have been, yes. I'm, uh, you know, today he's got he's got some pretty – pretty good guys doing those, those seminars, you know, but, uh, I'm fortunate enough where, um, if he's in a bind, he'll call me and I, I can go and, and do them. You know, I'm not a headliner anymore. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of, uh, guys that are way ahead of me on, on that list. And, and, and I understand that completely. I have a lot of fun doing it. I was actually part of the first one he ever did down in South Jersey, along with, uh, Greg Hackney and a bunch of other guys. And, it was just, it was awesome. And, and I knew it was going to be a big success. So I'm real proud of being part of that. I still stay in touch with both he and Pete as far as Bass University goes. And I, I still, um, I, I, I'll get into some other things that I'm, I do as well. But Bass University for me is probably the best buy for somebody who wants to learn how to fish because you can resource so many different techniques and so many different approaches to different conditions. Um, it's definitely something, a tool that you can use to shorten your learning curve. I love it. I love it. And some of your seminars on there, just talk, tell our listeners a little bit about what you talk about, what you specialize, specialize in, um, whether it be techniques, baits, anything like that. Yeah, I, I do some on, on spy baits, on, on flipping and pitching, um, some jig fishing th things. I think I did one on frog fishing too. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun to do, you know, and uh, fortunately, some of those that I did for them early on uh, was when I was living on Toledo Bend in Texas. And um, and um, Mike and Pete would come down and and uh, Jeff and we could film, film a bunch of things there, get a lot of things knocked out in one day on that body of water, you know, but uh, yeah, it's fun. And you try to give everybody as much as you possibly can. You know, not everybody does everything the same. And that's what I try to tell people. You know, it, what, it's what fits you, you know, like, I, you know, I like a certain rod, a certain reel, you know, it's like Fords and Chevys, you know, you may like a Ford, I like a Chevy, you know, it's, it, you know, it's what you have to feel comfortable with the equipment that you're using, you know, and, and, you know, I may get a different feel through one rod than you do. So it's always important to put different rods in your hand to see how they feel to you and see how you're, how they're going to react to a bite or, you know, setting the hook, things of that nature. So, um, you know, there's not one set deal here. And that's, that's usually what I try to present in, in my seminars. I give you what, what, how I do it. And then maybe some alternatives to doing, to doing it, just some suggestions that you might want, might want to try as well. So, um, it, they're fun, you know, especially, and it means a lot when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I saw your seminar and I really liked what I did. Now I do the same thing or whatever, you know, that, that really makes you feel good. Yeah, just inspiring people, right? Yeah. And just giving them little tips for their, whatever they can pull to make their fishing game better is just 
always the goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. We want you, you know, and, and in my seminars, I tell everybody, you know, you may not become a professional fisherman. And I'm not trying to push you to be a professional fisherman because actually it's a terrible way to try to make a living. <laughs> but, um, and I'll get into a piece of advice that I was given a long time ago, but um, you, you may not be, be a professional fisherman, but the goal is to make you a better fisherman so that when you do go fishing, you enjoy it, you know? So there's, there's a lot to be said for that, you know? Definitely. It's like, even like, like, my whole goal is like, I'm not trying to be a professional fisherman, but I'll tell you right now, if I can go out and not get skunked, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say the same thing, Eric. <laughs> we all get skunked from time to time. Trust me. It's the most humbling sport there is. It is. It is. Cause you, you formulate this whole plan. You look at the grids on the map and you're like, Oh, I'm going to fish this new body of water coming up in the, in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to, Look up all the fishing reports. You get a whole plan down. I'm going to hit this spot, this spot, this spot. If I'm catching them here, I'm going to this spot. You get there and just that out the window. You don't catch yeah. anything. It's like, yep. Well, see, the biggest the biggest deal in that situation is being able to throw it out the window. Yeah. You know? Because, you know, what what's, is it the definition of stupidity or something? Insanity. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah. Doing the same, same thing over again, except expecting a different result. That's fishing, dude. That is fishing to a T. You know, if you keep throwing that frog, it's like frogs are the most fun thing to catch a fish on. But how many times have you thrown out there in your first couple casts, you catch one, right? And it's like, oh, they're on it today. And you throw that for two hours and don't get another bite, right? It's like, you know, I'm insane. I am insane. <laughs> it happens way too often for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, right. <laughs> Little wrap up pieces here. Um, just someone, something I like asking a bunch of like bass people is what's your PB uh, largemouth and PB smallmouth? Um, my PB smallmouth is a five and a half. I can't, for whatever reason, I just can't get one. I've had them on, but not gotten them to the boat. Um, so um, and the, the one behind me is, uh, is an 11.3 and I, I had an 11.4. That was on, on Toledo Bend, and I caught an 11-4 on Falcon uh, about a year before that. So, um, I, you know, and I'm sure I've had bigger ones on, but I didn't get them to the boat. But that, that's, that's – uh, so I'll, I'll give you a quick story on this one. Believe it or not, I was on a guide trip. And if you guide, the last thing you want to do is catch the biggest fish of the day. You know, you want your clients to catch that fish. But I was with a couple of gentlemen from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was on Toledo Bend. And uh, um, they had fished with me before. And it was real windy. And I they were having trouble with the bait that they were throwing. I'm trying to think of something that I can give them that they can handle. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, we got a little chop on the water here. Maybe they'll eat a swim bait. So I picked this swim bait up and I throw it out over top. It's a, a Kitek 4.3 throw it out over the top of this grass bed. And that thing gets right to the edge of that grass bed. And she about rips the hand, rod out of my hand, you know? And I saw her and I'm like, oh God, you know? And they're like, what's wrong? I go, man, this is a double digit fish if I've ever seen one, you know? And, I, and I, I'm not real happy about it. And they're like, are you crazy? You know? So I'm like, man, I, I wish one of you had caught this fish, you know? So I get it in and, uh, on Toledo Bend, they have a lake association there. 
And this was this was prior to the newest um, um, the newest segments of the Sherilunker program in Texas. They would, if you caught a fish 10 pounds or larger, and you take it to a local tackle shop, have it measured and weighed, they tag it, put it back in the lake. At a big bass event that they have there every year, they give you a free fiberglass replica, and that's that's it. Okay. So it's a pretty good deal. It encourages people to put the fish back in the lake, you know. You know? Um, so they knew the, these guys I was fishing, my clients knew the, about the program. They're like, you got to take it in, you know. And I'm like, no, no, this, this might be on, you know. So we'll take it in, but we'll, let me, let's, let's see what we can do here. So I rig up a couple of swim baits and I never made another cast. And they threw out there, and Eric, I swear to you, for the next hour, it was almost every cast. They caught several over eight. I don't know how many between five and seven. They were skimming four pounders across the, the top of the water, trying to get it in fast enough so they could get out there and catch a bigger one. It was just one of those days, you know, one of those moments in time that you'll just never forget. They were so stacked on the edge of this. It was a point in the grass. The channel swung into it. It was just the perfect setup, and they were stacked in there, you know. It turns out that that fish, I caught that fish on March 16th of uh, 2016. And it had actually been caught in January of that same year. So it's 11-3 there. It was a 12-2 and it was caught in January. And the, the gentleman did the same thing. He took it in, got it, got it weighed and all that stuff and they tagged it. And, it. and when they did the mount, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but it actually has the tag in it that was in there when I caught it. So that, that shows you that that program really means a lot to the lake and it worked. And I got in touch with the guy and thanked him for releasing it, you know, because that gave me an opportunity to catch that fish. So uh, yeah, it was a pretty neat deal. That's, that's awesome. What an awesome story. I can't believe that someone caught it right before you did and you catch it. It's the same fish and it's tagged. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It shows you that like the power of catch and release, like. Oh, like, it works. Like, yeah, like yeah. We'll just go keep going, man. It's awesome. Yep. Yep. It works. Trust me. Sweet. Dave, awesome, man. I just want to take the time that we have left a little bit here and just let you plug whatever you want to plug. Any um, seminars you got coming up, um, your social media channels, any YouTube channel that you have also. I'll just kind of let the stage, the floor is yours to just kind of shout out anything you got going on. Okay. Um, well, um, I can always be reached to my website, which is uh, DaveMansu.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook as Pro Angler Dave Mansu. And my regular name, either way works. Um, but uh, every year um, I'm, I'm involved with, uh, you, you may or may not know the name Kurt Dove. Uh, Kurt's originally from Virginia. He now lives down in Del Rio. And he does a pro bass camp down there. It's a, um, it's a four-day deal for kids 12 to 18. We have instructors, uh, two, two students to an instructor, fish all day with them, give them seminars at night. And, after three days, they do a tournament. It's a great opportunity for kids to learn how to fish from some of the best. Um, we not only have Kurt, we have Danny Brower down there. We've had Keith Combs. There's all kinds of great instructors there. But uh, I, so I do that every year. Um, I, I love it. It's so much fun. You meet so many great young kids. You know, you, there's so many stories about all the, the bad kids in the world today. These kids are all great kids. It's, it's just a lot of fun. It, We've had a lot of them go on to college teams. Uh, we've even had one become a national champion. 
and through the college ranks. So, um, so it, it's a good deal. But um, the, the one thing that I'm focusing on now is myself, uh, Chad Morgan Taylor, who's my neighbor, and Brian Snowden, who's also a neighbor, along with uh, local guide Billy Elbert here on Table Rock. We've started uh, Future Cast Academy. Um, it's an academy that's going to be held eight times uh, throughout the year, two-day sessions. It's going to be a Saturday and Sunday uh, here on Table Rock. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to have this, have, we're going to split, we're going to have like 20 students in class. We're going to have 10, 10 students in classroom for four hours and the other 10 are going to be out on the water. And then they're going to, they're going to change at, you know, midday. Um, so everything that you learn in a classroom, you're going to, you're going to apply it out on the water and you're going to learn that stuff out on the water and then come back in the classroom. And we're going to put you through, through the, through the, the, uh, the test of making sure that you learn to grasp everything together, but it's going to be, it, it's unique in that we're doing it throughout the year. So our first class is March 3rd and 4th. So we're gearing the classes towards that seasonal pattern during that time of year. We're going all the way through uh, till October. So students that come in March, you know, like March 3rd and 4th here on Table Rock Lake, it could be a jerk bait, a jig, uh, a crank bait, like a rock crawler or a wiggle warts are really big here. But when you come back in the summertime, you know, we do them in the summertime, it's going to be drop shot. You know, you're going to be catching them in 30, 35, 40 feet, you know. So a student that comes in, in March, you're going to learn something completely different than a student that comes in, in, in June or July or August. So it, it's all geared towards that seasonal pattern. How to, how to apply the techniques, different techniques to be successful during that time, how to, how to conduct yourself, you know, through a, a podcast interview such as this or doing a seminar. There's a lot of things that we're gonna, gonna apply to these kids to try to help them become better fishermen. So we're, we're all kind of looking forward to it. Um, and that's, um, that, all that information is at futurecastacademy.com. I just put a note and I will put that in the description for sure. And I, I really like that too, because it's seasonality of it too. And you're teaching them how to be better humans as well. Um, just yeah. being able to talk to people and, you know, getting out there. It's probably one of the most difficult things that I've seen with kids, uh, either my age and younger, just being able to have a conversation about things that they're really passionate about, like fishing and right. just putting them basically through a training and just getting them better with talking. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun. I mean, you do have to learn a little bit of their language, but they really want to learn. You know what I mean? They really want to learn. So a lot of times they got to learn my language. Yeah, you know what I mean? So we kind of go, we teach each other things. So, but uh, it's a lot of fun dealing with these kids today, you know, and, and it's amazing how many of them have, are familiar through YouTube and, and Bass University and all that stuff with some of the things that we're talking about and how they can relate to it. And the questions you get are, are I mean, they're, they're challenging at times. There's no doubt about it. They, they're not, you know, they're, they're passionate about it in their own way. And, and learning how to deal with that is really a lot of fun. I love it. Dave, and one last time, and I appreciate you being on this podcast with me. Um, you know, hopefully down the road, we get another podcast episode too in like season three of this and we'll just keep cranking man and i appreciate it and would awesome. love to catch up with you later on yeah absolutely man this has been fun thanks for having me i've enjoyed it i wish you the best of luck
You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. 